My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I'm grateful again that you've joined us uh, to worship our Lord Jesus. Uh, A couple of announcements as we begin for us here as well as for those who are at home watching. Um, Community groups we have throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Those groups are really where the life of the church is experienced. It's where we're going to witness this gospel transformation that we're talking about and which we're uh, we're educated about through uh, studying the Bible. Uh, So I would really encourage you to, to join us in those groups. Uh, You can find the information online. You can email the leaders on the night that works best for you and ask them how they're gathering, where they're gathering, and what they're doing and kind of what the processes are. But we would love for everyone to be a part of that. Also, we want to remind you about the resource wall over there. All of those books are free. Uh, Please uh, grab those resources. They are uh, a great supplement to what we have in God's Word. Also coming up is the Foundations class. Our Foundations class is really where we cast the vision and the mission and the purpose of what we're doing here at Maranatha and why we're doing it here in Pickerington. Uh, It's required for membership, but it is not a requirement that you necessarily pursue membership at Maranatha. If you're just interested in finding out more about the church, we would encourage you to come. That's going to be on May 2nd, so next weekend from 5 to 7 in the the evening, rather. Um, So with that, uh, if you would open your Bibles to Malachi 2, that's where we're going to be today, Malachi 2. It's the last book of the Bible. If you're using one of the books uh, or one of the Bibles in front of us, that is page 753. Of course, it's going to be up on the screen as usual, but if you don't have a Bible in your home, that is a gift from us to you. We want everyone to have the Word of God in their home so they can uh, study and learn and grow in Christ, but also you can test everything that we say because what we are doing is simply pulling out these truths from Scripture and working to apply them to our lives. Let me pray for us and we can get into it. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you do communicate to us, that you do give us your word, and Lord, that you are our, um, our hope and uh, who we have faith in, the one who gives us peace and life, as we're going to talk about that today. Lord, um, we're grateful. We're grateful that you, um, <laughs> that you come to us despite who we are. Uh, help us today to worship you. Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see your truth as you've revealed it to us. In Jesus' name, in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. So this week, I, uh, I read this really great illustration that has us imagining that we are a student in college and that we're walking, in to, uh, we're walking in on the first day of this notoriously difficult class. And this class is normally taught by this uh, extremely difficult professor, but to our surprise, this time there's a different teacher. And this time, he has decided to take a very innovative approach to the way he's going to teach this class. This teacher decided that there would be no syllabus for the class, there'd be no textbooks, there'd be no assignments, and there'd be no tests, and everyone would be guaranteed an A. Right? That sounds like a pretty good class, right? But he did this because the professor thought that grades produced unnecessary stress and contributed to a negative self-esteem. Again, so far, this all sounds like a pretty good class that we would all uh, wouldn't mind taking. But you might think differently about it when the next semester's professor has the expectations that you've mastered that information, right? Or what happens when you finally get to that job, which you're studying for, and you need to know that information that you were supposed to learn in that semester. What will happen in the moment is that you will likely 
Wish that that professor spent less time, about, uh, less time caring about your present comfort and more time pushing you to learn the needed material for the good of your future self, for your customers and your clients and your coworkers. And eventually, because of his lack of focus on your education and because of how ill-equipped you are, the student, you, might even begin to believe that you were a victim of educational malpractice. Right? He should have done this for you. He should have led you properly. And I'm telling you this illustration because that is exactly what God is charging the priests with in Malachi 2. It's exactly what he, is, uh, what he is charging Israel's priests with. God had commissioned Israel's priests with two main responsibilities. Administering worship and teaching God's law. Last week, uh, God rebuked Israel as a whole for their apathetic worship. We saw how everyone was guilty of not being intentional as they worshiped. But this week, God is specifically focusing in on the priests. Last week, we talked about everybody. This week, he's specifically focusing in on the priests. And through Malachi, he is exposing their malpractice as teachers and protectors of God's word. All right? This is what we're going to be talking about today. So if you would stand with me in reverence for God... We're going to read his word, and I'm going to read it. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screens. Malachi 2, verses 1 through 9. Malachi 2, 1 through 9. This is what it says. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart." Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Let's be to God. Have a seat. Let me pray again for us. Father, once again, we are grateful for your word. Lord, this is a challenging passage, and I'm grateful for that. Lord, shape our hearts, mold us to follow and be transformed into the likeness of your Son. Help us, Lord, to honor you. Help us to desire to communicate and, and, and know and teach your word properly. Help us, Lord, to see the deficiencies of the priests and let us see them in ourselves. But, Lord, let us recognize the truthfulness and the promises that are brought to us and given to us through your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So, this passage could be divided into three sections, and I'm going to give them to you, but they're actually not in the order of the passage which we just read. Uh, The first section, Malachi describes what the priests should be doing in verses 4 through 7. 
Malachi then calls out the actual problems of the priest in 8 and 9, and then Malachi declares how God is going to hold the priest responsible in verses 1 through 3. So we're actually going to skip 1 through 3, go 4, 7, 8, 9, and then back to 1, 3. So let's look at number 1 and see what the priests should be doing, right? It says this, verse 4, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Okay, so these instructions come from within this covenant that God made with Levi. So who is Levi and what is that covenant? Well, the Old Testament doesn't actually give us a very good or a very full um, uh, understanding. It doesn't actually give us a very uh, a good understanding of this covenant with Levi. And the name Levi actually refers to the full tribe of the Levites rather than speaking directly to one person who is named Levi. All right, So he's actually talking to the tribe of Levi, not just one singular person named Levi. God tells us in Genesis that Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, and then Jacob fathered 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel, and one of his sons, uh, one of Jacob's sons, was Levi. So that's how we get to the tribe of Levi. Fast forwarding then into the book of uh, Exodus, after Israel was rescued from Egypt, Moses and Aaron, who were part of the tribe of Levi, were working to organize and lead God's people. God then decided to use the men of the Levites to be the ones who would be made responsible to protect and guard his truth and his covenant. All right, so that's a really simplified version of how we got from the man Levi to the tribe of Levi and their responsibility. In Deuteronomy 10, God tells Israel that it will be this tribe of Levi who will be set apart by him, by God, to be their priests, and that they will be the ones to carry and protect the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments, right? God's moral law. As well, they will be allowed, they will be the only ones allowed to minister to him. That is, that they will be the ones charged to bring the people's worship to God. All right? And their duties, which we can read about in our passage as well as we can gather from the other parts of Scripture, are this they are to lead worship offer sacrifices, and provide refuge for people. All right, lead worship, offer sacrifices, and then provide refuge for people. And while some of the priests uh, did this, some were priests rather, the others served as temple guards. And in that job description, they assisted with the sacrifices, but they also kept watch that nothing defiled that sacred place of the temple. All right, so they assisted in the sacrifices and they were guards, making sure that nothing actually defiled that sacred space. But here in Malachi, all right, now we're back in the book of Malachi. In Malachi, God focuses on one particular task, task which they were responsible for. The, uh, one main means of service which, God, which, which was meant to teach God's word to his people. This is what we're talking about. And there are two ways, I'm giving you a lot of lists, there are two ways that these priests honored God 
in their teaching. They taught the truth verbally, they preached it, they taught it, and then they practiced it in the way they lived. So they preached it, and they were to live it. So uh, see if you can pick up what Malachi is talking about in verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So you can hear those, uh, those callings and how they were meant to articulate truth to God's people. God said that this covenant was one of life and of peace, as well as one of fear. Life and peace as well as fear. Life and peace because God's truth is not oppressive. It's not oppressive. Rather, it brings to us life and life in abundance, right? There's nothing like understanding that we are secured in God, the one who created the universe. There's nothing understanding that we have been chosen by God, remembering what we talked about at the beginning of Malachi. As well, it's only when we walk in God's will that we will experience true, lasting life. He is the one who gives us life, and He is the one who sustains our life. Life and peace, as well as fear. Now, this isn't fear as if uh, someone was fearful that someone's going to break into their house and, and hurt them or steal from them. Rather, fear uh, that we're talking about here is a fear that is reverent. The kind of fear that brings a sense of profound amazement or respect and humble glorification because our life, all of the God's people's life is meant to be centered in the creator God who is good and who is wise and who is all-powerful. Nothing stands above the God of creation, the God who commands all of the universe. Even more, this is, this, rather, this is true even more than we can even comprehend. There's so much more. There are mysteries in God that we just can't quite fathom, but he is good. He is wise because he is all-powerful. Malachi says that the faithful priests were to be the messengers of the Lord. They were to take God's truth and be messengers to the people to bring this truth, again, through teaching and by living by it. But as for the priests whom Malachi is talking to, this is not what they were doing. This is not what was happening. Number two, there were problems with the current priests. Look at verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instructions. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Instead of teaching God's word faithfully, excuse me, Instead of teaching God's word faithfully through preaching and by living it out, God says they had turned aside from his right ways. And they were causing the people to stumble. What they were doing and what they were saying corrupted the truth about God and his covenant. Other translations of the Bible said that they, um, that they violated this covenant. They violated the covenant. So what does that mean? And I'm going to give you two Easy possibilities. What does it mean to violate God's covenant? What were they actually doing? Well, here, again, are two easy possibilities. They could have been blatantly teaching wrong truths about God. Maybe they knew what they were doing because their hearts desired to lead people away from God. So that, that's a possibility. 
As well, they could have been living double lives, right? They could have uh, acted and spoke a certain way while they were out in public. Then as soon as the public eye was off them, they just fell into all the desires that they had in any moment. That's also a possibility. Now, both of these may have been true. These are, again, easy possibilities. Both of these may have been true because both of them match, match up pretty well with last week's sermon and last week's passage about uh, apathetic worship. But we don't have to guess what God is talking about because God tells us, thankfully. We don't have to guess at what God is telling us, why he was rebuking them. Verse 9, he says, And so I make you despised and abased before all people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality by your instruction. Partiality means favoritism. They were showing favoritism. What they were doing was creating different standards for the wealthy and the influential. They were caring more about man than they were caring about God. Basically, they allowed different rules or standards for the people who they could gain something from. Different rules for the rich versus the poor. Different rules for the influential versus the marginalized. Even though God shows no partiality when it comes to his truth, his kingdom, or his standards. They knew this. There was no partiality in God there was, there was no partiality by his truth or in his truth. There was no partiality of the people who could come into his kingdom. And there is no partiality. Everyone is guilty. Everyone is held to the exact same standards. Perfection. They were violating his truth. They were teaching it wrong and they were living it wrong. They were violating his truth and they were misrepresenting him to those whom they taught and then who watched their lives. Maybe consider your own life. Who is watching you? Who are you speaking this truth to? What are you communicating? They were misrepresenting them, which is why the priests deserve everything that was coming to them. They were misrepresenting him. They had violated him, violated his covenant, which is why the priests deserve all that had come upon them. Number three, this is what they received. Verse 1, and now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. If you remember last week, I ended that sermon by saying the remedy for sin, the answer to apathy, and the way of salvation comes through listening to God's word. And God said here that the priests are not listening. The priests will not listen is what he said. They have reversed their priorities. They have uh, begun to seek the favor of other people before they even are concerned, concerning themselves with how they are honoring God, if they are honoring God. Again, they have reversed their priorities. They're concerned more with man than they are with honoring God. So God reversed what their ministry was meant to accomplish. He says, I will not bring blessing. Again, last week we saw how they allowed and fostered apathetic worship. And now we're seeing how they have also weakened God's honor by not taking his name and our place in him to heart. So God cursed them. 
He said, I will rebuke your offspring. Now, this word offspring actually can be translated as seed. Remember, this is a generational office. It was passed down through the tribe of Levi. So this is what God meant, that there would be even more ongoing trouble in the future generations. Because of them, because of what they were doing, God is going to rebuke their offspring. offspring. He's going to curse them. There's going to be even more trouble in the ongoing uh, future generations, which I think, um, which if we think ahead, we understand that point. If we think ahead of what's to come and what we study in the New Testament, we see that in the priests and the Pharisees uh, in what they are doing as they are the ones who so selfishly, self-servingly deny that the Messiah has come. They depart from God. They depart and they care more about people than they do the Lord. They care more about uh, gaining honor and, and notoriety from people than worshiping God. Now, we can learn, again, about these priests and Pharisees, and it should bring us here, but they're, again, they're the ones denying the Messiah. Don't do that. But it could have also been a curse that was more immediate to them, all right? So that's a potential. He was cursing the generations, but it could have also been a curse that was more immediate. The cursing of their seed could have been a curse on Israel's crops, a more, again, literal, factual, immediate curse, because that would have, had immediately, would have immediately threatened the peace and life of the people as well as the priests, because that was their livelihood, Right? It was everyone's livelihood. It was their, their agriculture, was their crop. But there's still even a more severe rebuke that the Lord brings about. He talks about, I'm going to curse your offspring, but there's an even more severe rebuke. This is where we're going to talk about the dung. Now, when we read something like this, when God says that he will spread dung on their faces, dung of their offering, and they will be taken away with it, that might shock some of you. Some of you might not have ever heard that the Bible actually speaks in this way, but it does. It does do this because, God, uh, because honoring God is a serious thing, so God uses serious language. Now, what Malachi is referring to when we read the word dung is, and, and how the ESV translate it, it's referring to what's called awful, O-F-F-A-L, probably because it's awful, right? It's gross. Awful is the word that defines the entrails and the bowels of an animal, all right? Awful uh, is, is, is what the sort of the innards are. You see, the priests had the responsibility, as they were the ones who were bringing the sacrifice, they had the responsibility to prepare the animals for the sacrifice. And in that process, uh, they had to remove all of the insides and all of the bowels of the animals to make them ceremonially ready to be that sacrifice. The priests then had to collect that offal, uh, because it is awful, they had to, to collect that waste and remove it from the temple and then dispose of it outside the city. This was part of their responsibilities. And it was that stuff, it was that awful dung that God promised to smear on their faces. It wasn't just gross, it was actually a very severe threat. It was a very severe warning from the Lord because if you remember, the priests were meant to be holy. They were to be a visible representation of what it meant to be set apart for God. 
So if this were to happen to them, if God would have allowed this to happen, then they would be made utterly unclean and they would be considered defiled and unable to accomplish their task. What God was getting at was if they didn't repent, if they didn't turn from their ways, turn from the world and turn towards Him, if they didn't repent, then they would suffer the same fate that that sacrificial waste suffered. They would be removed from the temple and disposed of outside of the city. What this is framing for us and what this is figuring is being put out of God's people. Today we call that excommunication. You see how serious this is then? They would be removed from the people of God if they wouldn't repent. Here's what we just covered with those three sections. One, that there was a right way to honor God and worship Him. Two, which they currently weren't doing. And three, therefore God's just consequences were upon them. There is a way for us to honor God and worship Him properly. We don't always do it because we are sinful and our hearts are darkened. If you don't turn and repent in Jesus Christ, you will suffer the consequences. As we end here, and as I just talk about that, I want you to know that this passage in Malachi frightens me. It frightens me because the closest thing that we have to this Old Testament office of priest is the pastoral office. I and, uh, like the rest of the elders, are responsible to teach God's word correctly and live it out faithfully. It's an incredibly difficult task. And Maranatha, we should not, uh, we, we should not consider this office lightly. We should hold it with reverence. We should hold it with accountability. Give it its proper authority, but it is not something that we should ever take lightly who stands up here and attempts to lead any church, not just Maranatha. I am thankful and honored that I get to be here, but it is challenging. It is hard. And as difficult as that is for me, I want to fast forward us to uh, fast forward in what I'm trying to say in this passage to show what this means for all of us as well. It's difficult for me and the other elders in the position we stand in, but I want us to see what I'm trying to say in this passage and how it relates to all of us, because not everyone here is going to, uh, to be in the position that I'm in. No one, not everyone is going to be in the position with a microphone and an open Bible and have to be called to preach God's word, but, and you might even feel as though you don't carry any particular weight or influence or authority in anyone else in your life, but what I'm about to show you is that's not true. I'm about to show you how that's, or why that's not true, because there, is, there has been a change that's been brought about in Christ for all of us. There is a change in all of us that has been brought about by Christ, and that change is that each of us now possess new life in Christ because we are all now God's royal priesthood. You understand? We are all priests in Christ, and our bodies are His temple because His presence lives within us. That is the Holy Spirit that guarantees our inclusion into the kingdom family of God. We are His temple because His presence dwells within us. And as His priesthood, we are called in our everyday lives to know God's Word and live out God's Word. This is our responsibility. We are to be people of integrity, people whose word and deed, whose speech and actions are cohesive. 
What we say should be what we do. It must be cohesive. We must be people of integrity. But this life that we have is not about how good we are. It's not about how good we live. Rather, it's about actually how we violated God's honor. The way that we have this life is when we recognize that we have violated God's honor, but we have been saved by another, right? Yes, we have, again, violated, but we have been saved. There is an ideal priest. God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Hear me, Jesus Christ is our ideal priest. He is the ideal priest. We are not. We are brought into the kingdom family through him. He is our ideal priest. He is the one who is able to operate in this office that we've seen perfectly. Perfectly. He fulfilled the covenants of God. He fulfilled the law and the demands. He allowed the punishments that we accrued to be smeared on his face. We can't do it on our own. We need the true priest. You need the true priest. Now is our time to repent from our corrupted hearts. Now is the time for us to to, to make the necessary changes in our life to the glory and honor of the true and faithful messenger of God, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is the one. He is the one who made the ultimate and final sacrifice. He is the one who qualifies the disqualified. He qualifies the disqualified. It's through him alone that we have life and peace. And we no longer have to fear, although we can honor and have reverence for him. Thank you, Jesus. If you would pray with me, please. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you are our high priest that you have rescued us again from the dominion of darkness. Lord, thank you that you have given us new life in your Son. Help us, Lord, to live in a way that honors you each and every day as we speak and hold tight to the truth and as we walk in your ways and in your will. Continue to sanctify us, Lord. Continue to make us more like yourself. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.